Welcome. Hi, everybody. Hello. Um, as many of you know, my name is Tina Dio, um, and I use the Rev Tina, Rev, Rev Tina, Reverend Dio, um, and I use she, her pronouns. Uh, and yeah, I was asked by our adult uh, forum planners to share a little bit about my sabbatical ministerial internship experience. So we'll just dive in. It'll be great. This is a more academic lecture kind of format than I'm used to. So if it's really boring, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, hopefully it's not. So I did my ministerial internship, which is a requirement um, for UU ministry to do an internship in a congregation. Um, and, oh, I have to, I'm moving it on my screen, but not up here. Here we go. No, I got it. Okay. So I did it at the Unitarian Universalist Church in Eugene, and that's, um, well, so it's supposed to be the front entrance of the church, but it's set on a very busy street, and the parking lot is in the back, so everyone enters through the back, and that foyer that they built on, this was an old Mason's building that they redid, is, um, it's really nice and sunny and has lots of plants. It's just a meeting room, mostly. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, the architectural um, uh, choices there kind of, but it's a great space. Um, it's a church about 400 members, um, and it's located in downtown Eugene, um, and they have a homeless ministry on the property, which is really cool because there's tons of homeless people all over Eugene, um, tents everywhere, and they have um, like homeless residents that are shaped in like a Conestoga hut um, shape. And so there's four residents, long-term residents that live there, and it's through um, the Episcopal charity um, organization that they get placed in these places. So you'll see like safe spots all over Eugene um, with more than just four. There'll be like 20 in an area um, of these like Conestoga hut type things. And you'll see lots of them on church properties and stuff like that. So it's just a way to that the church is um, ministering to the homeless population. And one of the w women um, is a regular attendee of the church. Her name is Vicki. She's awesome. And um, so, yeah, so there's uh, that on their campus. And then they also just elected a committee on right relations. And I was a part of making um, policy for that committee. And it's right yeah, and the right relations policy. So they elected people to serve on that. And I was looking for a placement that was doing the work of uh, right relations when I was applying, because um, I think it's essential as we go forward as church communities to do uh, right relations work inside of our um, churches and in our denomination as a whole. And then that has ripple effects beyond. So right, what right relations work is, in case folks are not up on what that is, is it is a way to hold covenant in community. So people who serve on the committee of right relations are, I guess you say, quote unquote, the tenders of the covenant, right? We all have a covenant here. We say it every morning. Love is the doctrine of this church. Services as prayer, you know, um, and covenants can be revisited, and we—that's the basis for how we live in community with each other in our UU context, right? Is our covenants, and so if you've ever been in our religious education um, classes, we start with covenanting always with our youth, with our kids, with our adults. Um, so covenanting is the way that we live in community with one another, and so the committee on right relations then serves as the tenders of that covenant. So if there was something that came up between congregants, between committees, between you know certain groups or individuals, they would then go to those folks and just talk with them about a conflict that they are having um, in whatever setting it is. Um, it's not for complaints about the staff or anything like that, um, but um, 
that's also like issues that can be brought up with the staff. Um, and then, uh, you know, the staff have their own um, bodies of colleagues and such to work through some of that and how they manage the conflict. Um, so yeah, so it's a great um, committee. And again, like I said, I was looking for a church that was working on this because I was new to it. And as we know in communities, conflict will arise and it's how we deal with it that matters, right? Um, and so that is a little bit about the church. Their mission statement is empowered by love. We transform ourselves and serve our world. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit about the congregation. That's my office that I had. And then that is the tiny casita ita that I lived in. Oh wait, you can't see it. <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> here we go. Okay, there's my office. There we go. And that is the like in a garage port of some church members, and it's a very tiny casita ita. Um, so I just thought I'd put those pictures up there because pictures are fun. Um, so yeah, so that was the office, and then where I lived. Um, and so I had some goals, right, for my internship, um, and I created a learning serving um, covenant with the church and um, and I had an intern committee also that was working with me on this. And so I created this with um, the church community and with the minister and the staff and um, the committee I was working with. So I had all these goals, right? So how did I complete all these goals? Hmm. Um, the first goal that I had uh, was ministers as, as church administrator. So um, that's all the nuts and bolts stuff, right? The budget, all that, you know, governance, all of those things, which I would say was my um, biggest learning need um, for this internship that I wanted to work on, one of the biggest I wanted to focus more on adult education, facilitation, and empowerment. I wanted to focus on more pastoral care as well. And I'm going to go into these a little bit more in depth here in a second. I wanted to focus on empowering congregants in justice and anti-racism work. And I wanted to um, have integration of what I had learned along my journey into a coherent ministerial identity. Some of these goals were given to me by the Ministerial Fellowship Committee, who I had seen once before and then had to see again. So, for example, that one, <laughs> which sounds a little wordy, and you're like, what does that mean? You want me to work on this? So I had to, like, kind of figure out what they wanted there. And then six, how do we continue to decenter whiteness in our congregations and denomination as we work on these anti-racism, multicultural um, issues? Uh, and number seven was moral reasoning and interpretive authority, presenting my actions and learnings in a moral framework. That was also another one given to me by the MFC, a Ministerial Fellowship Committee, MFC. And then self-care, of course, because you need to take care of yourself. Um, so, and I can like bullet these. Um, Again, this is very dry. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, minister as church administrator. So this is my first goal, right? And you can read some of the things that I was participating in throughout that internship. So I did a lot with the pledge campaign um, with others in the church. They have um, a um, financial committee at that church. Um, again, they're larger than ours. So... Um, so they have a financial committee, and I worked with that committee. I also, um, the minister, Rev. Jen Yunsun Ru, who I worked with there, um, she, she would always, you know, she, she gave me her calendar and pretty much said, here, you have access to my calendar. You can show up to anything that I do, um, which was great. Um, so, you know, I was her shadow a lot of the times, which was awesome. Oh, and when it was appropriate, of course. Um, and so, you know, one day we had uh, weekly meetings, her and I, and uh, one day she said, hey, 
do you want to do the stewardship sermon? It's going to be one of the hardest sermons you write. And I was like, okay, sure, fine. <laughs> It'll be great. So, um, so yeah, I did a lot with that pledge campaign and the stewardship drive and the, the stewardship Sunday. Um, I met with the church business admin that they had on a weekly basis with the minister, Rev. Jen, to go over budget logistics. Um, I represented the ops team, the operations team, who consisted of the business admin, the treasurer, and the minister at the board meetings. So, and sometimes when Rev. Jen was out of town, that would be me representing them. I facilitated staff meetings, which we had a team of like nine to 10. Um, and we also took turns facilitating and taking notes and all that. Um, so I took a workshop on sociocracy style of governance and decision making. And I took a workshop on that at a UU minister's retreat. And it was really great because Rev. Jen and I were on the same page about this to, to start implementing that style of governance and decision making. And it's a really interesting um, style that allows for all perspectives to be heard in the room. And it usually works on a small group um, level. So like eight to 10 people it works best with. No, not more than 10 usually. Um, but if you want to learn more about sociocracy, you can go to Sociocracy for All. It's a website, and that's where we had our trainer from at our um, minister's retreat. And so what it does, and I can briefly explain the process, but it, so you bring a proposal to a committee or um, group, and that group or committee has an aim, right? So let's say it's the mission of the church, okay? So you have your mission that you're upholding as the aim. Then proposals that are brought to, let's say, the board, um, then need to be in um, uh, consent with the aim, or if they're not, people can object to that, right? So you're always looking at the aim, right? The mission, let's say, of the church. Then, so someone brings a proposal, there's a round of questions where everybody gets to ask questions about the proposal, and then, um, you know, if people do have questions, those are answered. And then everyone gets a chance to speak their reaction to the proposal. Um, and then if things came up that the proposal needed to change in those question reaction rounds, then the proposal can change. And then you can go back through the process of question reaction. And then the last um, round is objecting or consenting to the proposal in serving the aim. So you're not just objecting to object, right? You're objecting, if, it, if this is actually not serve the aim of the group, then, then yes, object to it, right? So that is a snippet of what a sociocracy method looks like. And I really liked it because it, like I said, it allows for all voices to be heard in the room, you know, and we know in board meetings and other meetings, some voices are louder than others. Um, and some people don't feel like they can speak, right? Um, and that could be for various reasons, um, you know, age demographics, um, cultural demographics, whatever. So this is a more inclusive way to um, include all voices. And it breaks down some of that, um, like it, it decenters whiteness as well, which I really like. Um, so I love that kind of method. It's, it's a little bit like consensus-based um, build, consensus building based. Um, I participated in the annual salary analysis for staff members during church budget, budgeting. And I worked on a lot of our programmatic calendaring with the director of faith formation and our congregational administrator and the minister. And then I was in charge of the process of getting church committees. So at that church, they um, uh, had church committees, justice groups, and affinity groups. So there could be a crafting affinity group, right? Um, they all had to charter with the congregation, with the church. And so they had to explain, like, how is this group linking into the principles of UUism and the morals and the ethics, right? 
So that was a cool process. And then they could submit budget requests if they wanted to as well. Um, then uh, I continuously helped update the church's website on a weekly basis. Um, and I was a part of the staff initiative to create church announcement videos on a weekly basis, which, you know, videos people watch more than maybe reading their emails. So um, maybe we can do some of that here. I don't know. <laughs> it's a lot, though. It is. We had rotating staff members doing it every week. Um, let's see. Adult education, facilitation, and empowerment. Um, so I did a lot of, I really wanted to focus on doing a lot more adult education. As you know, here in this context, I do a lot of children and youth stuff. Sometimes I have time for adults, <laughs> but it always gets put on the back burner, right, in a lifespan capacity. Um, so there I really focused on co-facilitating a lot of adult programs and started out, they were doing an eight principles study, so we did that, um, co-facilitated uh, the UU Common Read book um, last year's was Mistakes and Miracles. Um, how, like, the road... So Mistakes and Miracles, Congregation's Road to multi Multiculturalism is the full title. Co-facilitated a discussion on the book Defund Fear. That was also a UU Common Read in the past couple years. Um, uh, met monthly with our UU Young Adult group and helped co-facilitate co that empowered folks of varying identities, ages, abilities to co-lead during worship services. Helped facilitate sessions on leadership development. They had like a whole committee there on leadership development, which was awesome. And they led um, yearly sessions on that. Co-facilitated the Article 2 listening session. So that's the Article 2 of our UUA bylaws that's about to maybe change in our next General Assembly. Um, co-facilitated other church-wide listening sessions on various topics, like when they removed the mask mandate, a lot of people got upset, so we needed to have a listening circle after church one Sunday, right? And so some of those types of things. Um, co-facilitated many of the Faith Forward curricula offerings, which we now have a subscription to here at this church, and there are a plethora of offerings, including the series that we're doing on the first Sundays of the month that John did um, last Sunday on the UU Principles um, History and Sources. So um, that was that's the Inquirer's class. So there's other classes that are offered in this curricula that I would love for us to do. Um, and here, like I really want to implement it, and I'm really thinking that um, we'll implement, hopefully, and if people want to help me, let me know after this, <laughs> um, the coming of age class for adults. So we do coming of age with our youth, and our youth are actually back there doing the coming of age class right now. So they learn about their values, their beliefs, you know, their own ethics, family, friends, how to navigate life, um, New you principles, right? How does how do those principles influence their lives? Um, and then they end it with a credo statement or project that they can then present to the congregation in a forum type um, uh, format or in a worship service. Um, some people have done dances. Some people have played songs, um, and so some people like just doing a speech, which is great, or artwork too. Um, and so I'm hoping that maybe in the new year we can get the coming of age for adult class going, you know, because a lot of us like want to dive into like what we think and believe too. And then maybe we can coincide the adult um, credo project statements with the youth. I don't know. Me and John were just talking about it. So <laughs> we'll see how that goes. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, okay, so like I said, there was a lot of, like, so, you know, we, the church finally removed the mask, like, mandate, made it optional, right? And so, and they were actually making it, so how this church did it is they were making it mandatory in the worship services for a really long time, and then you could take it off after or something and mingle, I don't know. This is <laughs> how they made their decision before I got there, and then they removed the mandatory masking 
in the big worship service. So there were a lot of people with health concerns. Fully masked. Sorry. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. So they, yes, COVID. Thank you. Um, and so there were folks that wanted to still come to worship in person, but didn't feel comfortable coming with people not masking. And so we really tried to listen to those voices too, right, as um, inclusivity and an inclusivity issue. And um, and then, like, I talked with some of those folks, and we came up with a fully masked Vesper service on, like, once a month on a Friday evening for, like, in-person worship, right? So we did that. Yeah, that's what that is. A masked, yes. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's still going, so that's cool. Um, let's see here. Pastoral care. Woo! I led a very short marriage ceremony. Um, <laughs> so actually, under the UU Church in Eugene, and I don't know how it is in this state, but in Oregon, if I'm under a church, um, the church is the responsible party for um, uh, marriage. So I was, before I was ordained, I was able to do a marriage ceremony for this couple. And they were having um, some health concerns. And so they walked in, like came off, you know, they weren't a member of the church. So um, they came in from outside the community and wanted to get married. And um, because the husband was ailing and, you know, can we get married? We don't have a lot of friends here. We just moved here. Um, and so we were like, yeah, we can do it. And so we did this very short uh, marriage ceremony um, after one of the adult classes on a Saturday morning. And there were a couple witnesses from that adult class. So that was fun. Um, and then I led three memorials. Okay, we got another one here. Oh, Galen's bringing it. Thank you. Testing. Oh, now it's on. What? That's so weird. Here, bring that one up just in case. <laughs> Thank you. That was weird. Okay. I don't know. Thanks. Um, so, yeah, that was something I really wanted experience doing. Um, and one I did with a UCC minister um, a joint memorial because that's what they wanted. And then one was a graveside service, which that one was really raw, I would say. Like those gravesides are pretty raw and intimate. Um, but yeah, that was a good experience. Um, I helped co-facilitate an end-of-life choices class for the congregation with other folks who were a part of the lay pastoral associates team there. And um, they had done this before, and so they were kind of the lead on that, and I was just helping um, and attending in whatever capacity needed be, like organizing and stuff. And then had two to three pastoral care calls a week, was uh, presence during a congregant's life transition memorial. So this is something that I was really like interested in more now that I got to be a part of this was, you know, somebody had gone through um, a life transition, whether that's a divorce or a death of a child or, you know, like different, um, like loss of a job, um, like, you know, uh, illness that was just diagnosed or something, right? Um, and so I uh, got to be a part of that, which was really meaningful. Um, so just like as we kind of think about like going, you know, thinking about your life transitions, like that's always something you can request a minister to do with you, right? Which is kind of neat. Um, visited a church member, counseled them on end of life planning after a recent diagnosis. Yeah, visited congregants in the hospital. Um, and I also connected, I think more and more like as like, um, just different fellowships being a little bit more isolated, and here it's a little different, but um, there in Oregon, there was a UU fellowship in Florence, Oregon, and Florence is like an hour and a half drive from like the big hospital in Eugene, right? And so 
I was like working with some of those folks in that congregation to be like, hey, like if you have congregants in the hospital and you need somebody to visit, like we're here in Eugene, like let us know, right? Um, helped on the kindness team. Um, so they had a kindness team and a lay pastoral uh, care associates team. So the kindness team did more of like the care requests and they came up with the boundaries of what that could include, right? And one of the boundaries for them, for that team, was we can't transport people. Like, it's too much on us to do that sort of thing. But they could do meal trains. They could do cards. They could do visits. They could do phone calls. Like, some of those types of things. Um, yeah, worked with the lay pastoral care associates. Um, provided pastoral care to congregants and staff when the director of faith formation announced um, that they had stage four cancer. So that was a huge thing that happened in that congregation this past year. Um, so empowering congregants in justice and anti-racism work. So this was another goal. Um, so that church had a challenging racism group and I kind of jumped into facilitation of that group. The last intern had um, helped facilitate that group, and so I kind of jumped in to help facilitation uh, of their monthly meetings. Um, the church created a justice council while I was there, and I was help helping the minister create that in the church. So they had lots of different, you know, justice organizations like Food Justice, Earth Action, Challenging Racism, um, LGBTQ+, right, like all of these different justice-affiliated groups, and we wanted to not have them um, disjointed from each other, and we wanted to connect them, right, to work um, together and, and realize all the intersections of all these issues. Um, so I got to help um, on a quarterly basis facilitate those with the minister. Um, connected congregants with the Showing Up for Racial Justice chapter there, uh, Surge. Um, so we connected our church with Surge and gave them space to meet um, for a hybrid hybrid access. They did a lot of hybrid stuff at that church. Um, so you could meet, they had like these big TVs with little owl cameras and so you could be in person or you could be at home on Zoom. And um, they uh, helped, I helped coordinate the first all-church monthly justice action, which came out of the Justice Council. It was an idea brought by a congregant that, hey, let's do monthly justice actions together as a congregation, and let's come up with those at our Justice Council meetings. And so I got to help in coordinating those actions on a monthly basis. And we partnered with a lot of local organizations for those actions. Um, we created a justice alert email listserv for congregation members to sign up for. Um, so like, hey, there's anti-Semitism rhetoric being distributed in our community, which happened in Eugene. And hey, we need to show up and like spread love rhetoric to these communities, right? Um, so that was a justice alert and justice action. Um, we had an MLK service, um, kind of an interactive service, where we had like different things that folks could choose from to go, like to a lecture on black history in Eugene, or you could, you know, make posters for the MLK protest um, or the MLK march. So there was like interactive things, which was kind of cool, we did. And then we marched um, the next day in the march as a church with our Side of Love shirts. Um, I got to help organize and lead a Transgender Day of Remembrance service, which was really meaningful um, and intense. <laughs> um, and we had trans and non-binary folks speaking in that service. And then we went to some of the U of O campus activities on that day as well. Um, and then this church also had an accessibility task force, which I thought was pretty awesome. And I got to help, uh, I went to their monthly meetings and worked with them on planning a service called This Is How We Roll. Um, and they got to speak about issues that were concerning to them in the community or 
in, in the church community or in the wider community or just their stories. Um, so yeah, and uh, they also did some intersection work, that committee or that task force with homelessness and accessibility, and um, which was great to be a part of as well. Um, so this one was, okay, how do I tackle this? Integration of what I have learned into a coherent ministerial identity. <laughs> and I had a lot of conversations with the ministerial credentialing office about some of these like more wordy like um, goals that they gave me to work on. So yeah, so this is kind of how I worked on that goal. Um, embodying a ministerial presence, whatever that means. Um, still trying to figure it out. But <laughs> um, so I work to go off script when necessary, right? Um, this is a lot about like me leading in front of people and preaching or, right, that, that whole style of leadership. Um, so, yeah, I work to go off script when necessary and appropriate uh, in leading worship. I completed my credo titled Leaps of Faith. So I did that um, and kind of got to articulate my own um, beliefs and thoughts. And I got to share it in a service. We did that as well there um, with folks who were in that class. And then I worked on making my speaking style more conversational and slowed it down. <laughs> so uh, me and uh, Rev Jen, we would watch videos of my preaching and the first service that I did, we watched, and I hate watching videos of myself, right? Um, like a lot of us do. And I was doing a lot of this. <laughs> so I worked on like being less anxious with my like motioning as well, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, slowing down the pacing of my talking. I led a worship service at another UU church in Florence, Oregon. I led a worship service there. Um, and I conversed with colleagues and friends and family and my spiritual director and exploring my theological and moral beliefs on various topics. Uh, focus on boundary setting, right? That's a good thing to be doing as a minister. Um, worked on pausing, breathing, and reflecting appropriately in front of people, right? Like, let's just pause. <laughs> and a lot of my intern committee, they would help me with this too. And I would deliver my sermons before I gave them. And they'd be like, just it's okay to pause. Like you can be silent. You don't have to fill the space with ums and so's and this and that. So that was helpful. Um, and also just knowing I'm a lighthearted person, right? Like just knowing who I am as a leader, I'm a lighthearted person. And I also know when it's appropriate to be serious with people, right? And I have nervous laughter too. I was also told that. Yeah. So there's a little bit of that I got to work on. <laughs> There's the laughter. <laughs> Explored what a ministerial presence and identity is with my supervisor, mentor, Rev Jen. So I was exploring what it means, right, to have that presence and, you know, kind of what I aspire to, to be as a minister and a leader um, is to be authentic for sure and sincere and genuine, compassionate and prophetic and Love is my guiding principle, so that's kind of what I will continue to work on. So, yeah, how do we continue to decenter whiteness in our congregations and denomination? I did mention one with the sociocracy governance model, um, but also centering diverse voices in worship services and other church events and meetings, right? So that could be music, it could be readings, it could be um, people's own voices, right? Um, and speakers um, could be, yeah, the stories that we tell, right? Um, so just centering a lot more of the, those diverse voices. Indigenous, indigenous, IBPOC is indigenous black people of color, transgender, um, differently abled, LGBTQ plus, 
youth and young adult voices. So really focusing on that. Um, so I, there was a phrase that I said in one of my sermons, I remember, and it was, multiculturalism is multi-generational, right? So we have to like focus on all of our generations when we're thinking about multiculturalism as well. Led um, racial identity groups within the church and community and the, the denomination. Um, so we would continuously review the antidotes to white supremacy culture in our staff meetings, committee meetings, and board meetings. Um, and so there's the um, char characteristics of white supremacy culture, but there's also the antidotes. And one of those is celebrate. Celebrate cultural heritage and diversity is an antidote. So, um, you know, and um, embracing imperfection is another antidote. Um, and so we would focus on a lot of those during staff meetings and other meetings. So yeah, we would ask the questions at the beginning of the meeting and the end. How do we intend to consider marginalized identities today? How did we consider marginalized identities today? And we just did that in our RE committee meeting this past week. And for example, planning, uh, talking about the um, parade planning, light parade planning, right? So it's winter, the theme is winter around the world, right? And so our committee came up with, let's do, you know, a tropical Hawaiian theme. And, you know, we have blow ups for that and we have our rainbow that's already, you know, made. And so one of the questions we asked there was, how are we gonna, not appropriate Hawaiian culture when we do this, right? So these kind, kinds of questions. Um, continue to make intersectionality work a priority in our church spaces and wider community. Partnered with other non-white organizations, followed their lead and supported their events and causes. Um, I got to help lead the Juneteenth service, um, Joy as Resistance, and then we went um, as a group of church folks to the local Juneteenth celebration after that service. Centered on Christmas Day, I was in charge of the Christmas Day service and I centered Palestinian voices during that service because Bethlehem is in the West Bank in Palestine. Helped organize a new chapter of UUs for justice in the Middle East in that church. And then I joined the allies for racial equity group in the UUA, and then, yeah, sociocracy model of governance, and then, of course, you know, how do we like continue to decenter whiteness? Well, we need to hire more indigenous, black, people of color in our congregations for our staff. Let's see. So this was another one that I had to figure out what they were meaning here, um, giving me this goal, moral reasoning and interpretive authority, presenting my actions and learnings in a moral framework. So here it was a lot of my leading services, right? And presenting my actions and learnings in a framework that I could present to congregations. Um, so yeah, so leadership in different parts of the worship every Sunday, um, led and organized a service at least once a month there at Eugene. So I was preaching and organizing services once a month um, with the worship associate team and staff. So we all met once a week to plan the services. And then these are some of the services that I helped lead and organize. So these are kind of all the topics. So courage to embrace the messiness, transgender day of remembrance, Palestinian Christmas message, the Accessibility Task Force service. I did an eco-justice service, sharing our eco-memoirs, and I worked with folks from the Earth Action Group and the Indigenous Connections Circle and the Pagan Group to help, and they got to share some of their eco-memoirs. I'm actually thinking about bringing that into a women's retreat uh, in the future, so talking about eco-memoir sharing. So maybe, yeah, soon here. Um, 
Stewardship Sunday, led a service on the Common Read book, Mistakes and Miracles, Congregations on the Road to Multiculturalism, helped preach during a service on the topic of God. So I was one part of different viewpoints on, or non-viewpoints on God. Uh, I led a service on nurturing care for Mother's Day at the Florence Church, led an Easter multi-gen service and play. It was okay. I wouldn't do it again. <laughs> the play was a little odd. Um, <laughs> um, you learn, right? Uh, led the Juneteenth service. So those are some of the services I got to help lead. And then self-care. Woo! I attended some retreats, uh, minister formation retreats, the UU Minister Association chapter retreats, did spiritual direction, which I'm still doing, counseling and therapy, of course. Took professional time to attend a yoga retreat. That was nice. Uh, I did PT for my knee because I had had a knee injury um, a couple years and then still working on keeping my knee going and my quad muscles going. I took a solo camping hiking retreat in the Olympic National Park, which was awesome. I played my uke. They have a Yucatarians group there at the church. So, yeah, and they, now I went back for the ordination of my friend, colleague, who just became a minister and previous intern to that congregation, and they all have Yucatarian shirts. I was like, oh, my gosh, y'all are doing awesome. Yeah, making friendships in the community, and I took trips to the Oregon coast whenever I could on my days off, because it was like an hour and a half drive, and the Oregon coast is beautiful, if many of you have probably been there. And if not, you should go. It's awesome. So now, I was going to transition. So that's a little bit about what I did, and I can take questions here in a bit, but um, if people have questions, but also... Um, the process for becoming a U minister, I kind of wanted to like give the kind of overview of that process because some of you may know what goes into that and some of you may not. Um, but yeah, it's a process. <laughs> so the major requirements for ministerial fellowship with the UUA, UU Church, Master Divinity degree, which takes usually three years, could take longer, Career assessment, a psychological eval, which um, everyone does at a center, an accredited center that they, you know, have you do it at. Mine was in Kansas City during the General Assembly out there. That was like in 2018. Uh, completed a unit of clinical pastoral education, CPE. So you'll hear people, ministers and other clergy folks talking about CPE, um, and that is being a chaplain um, and doing a chaplain internship. So that could be in a hospital, could be in a prison, um, it could be on a school campus, um, right? So there are various ways to complete that unit. I did mine a long time ago um, in 2008 in Boise, Idaho at a hospital. And then I did a residency actually later because I thought maybe that was the career path I wanted to do was chaplaincy work. It didn't fit quite right, and that's I did that residency in Knoxville, Tennessee, before I came out here. Complete an internship, so they want you to complete a ministerial internship in a congregation, normally. Sometimes you can get that waived um, if you've done internships in other contexts. Complete the very extensive required reading list. I can send that all to you if you want. <laughs> um, Interview with the National Credentialing Body, which is the Ministerial Fellowship Committee. So the first steps, though. First, you become an aspirant. So you submit your initial inquiry form to the Ministerial Credentialing Office, and you do an interview with a fellowship to you, you minister. Um, I did mine with John here. Acceptance to a Master of Divinity program or completion of this program. I had completed my Master of Divinity degree in 2010, so I had already done that work. But I did do other courses online, um, which included UU History and UU Polity and Governance. 
So I did those with Star King Seminary. Complete a criminal background check. It's probably a good thing to do as a minister. Signed application for a candidacy form. Statement of congregational support, which this congregation did that at the time. I don't know what year that was and who was serving on the board right now, but <laughs> folks approved me from here. And then they want to see active involvement in a UU community. Yeah. Oh, oh, I didn't switch it. Jeez, Tina. Okay, there we go. <laughs> That's the aspirant status. And then you go through the candidate status. So once you kind of complete the aspirant hoops, then you continue on your journey as a candidate. So you then need to complete your career assessment, psychological evaluation. You need to have completed at least one year of theological education to apply for a candidacy. You need to submit final two evaluations from yourself and your supervisor from your clinical pastoral education um, internship unit. And you must have training in sexual ethics and ministerial boundaries. And you must have competencies in anti-racism, anti-oppression, and multiculturalism. And it's strongly encouraged to join the UU Ministers Association. And then you complete a ministerial internship in a UU congregation. And you submit your learning serving covenant and evaluations to the ministerial credentialing office. And then the final steps. So after all the completion of the aspirant and candidate requirements, candidates must prepare written statements of each of the seven competencies of ministry for UU ministry. So these are the seven. Worship and rites of passage, pastoral care and presence, spiritual development for self and others, that's usually the religious education requirements, Social justice in the public square, administration, serves the larger UU faith, leads the faith into the future. So then as a candidate, you compile all of your competency statements, forms, evaluations, essays, references, resumes, CVs, <laughs> transcripts, etc., and turn this in as a big packet to the ministerial fellowship committee to request an interview. So yeah, so this packet is turned in before your interview for the MFC to review. The folks on your interview panel will review your whole packet of stuff, which is like hundreds of pages. Yeah. And then you have your interview. I had the fortunate opportunity to go twice. <laughs> for my interview. Um, I had my internship, my ministerial internship waived the first time through because I had done the residency as a chaplain and that counted as an internship. So I had it waived and they waived it. But then they also said that, you know, whoever's on your panel might require you to go back and do this. So I went the first time interviewing. It was October, 2020. And it was one of the first interviews they did on Zoom. It was the second one, I think, because they did one right as the pandemic was hitting. Um, and I was, yeah, in my office here doing it online. And um, they, you know, they ask you to, if you want, you can have a chaplain present or somebody, a support person. You used to have to fly to Boston for these interviews. And it's good they're doing them on Zoom now because it, um, saves a lot of resources in many different ways. So, yeah, so I went, and at that time, they were giving, it was a, they'd been switching the process a lot and updating the, the process for becoming a minister, and they had a one through five number system at the time, and now they just have three categories, which you can see right here, affirmed in fellowship, continued in candidacy, discontinued from candidacy, but back then they had one through five, and one was like, go be a minister, yay, you did awesome. 
two was like, hey, do this thing. Tell us you did this thing that we want you to grow and learn from. And then you'll be a minister. Just tell us you did it. Three was go do this thing that we think you should do. Um, and then come back and interview again. So that's what I got. <laughs> they said, go do a ministerial internship in a congregation and then come back and interview with us again. So as you can imagine, I was very disappointed and upset after that. <laughs> um, and, uh, but it, it did work out finally. Um, but I have a support group now of people who got turned away the first time, <laughs> um, colleague support groups, and uh, that's very helpful um, to process some of those emotions, right? Um, so yeah, so the MFC interview, you preach a sermon, so you prepare a sermon, you preach that. Um, they all do introductions and stuff first, and then you do a chalice lighting, and you preach a sermon. Then you answer questions that relate to the seven competency areas of ministry. And the committee will also have follow-up questions for you. Again, this process changed since I had done it the first time as well. And they actually gave us the questions 24 hours in advance. Hallelujah. Um, so I could prepare a little bit beforehand, which is good a good improvement for the process for sure. So, yeah, but then the, the follow-up questions, like I didn't have beforehand, right? So those would come from some of your answers. One of my follow-up questions was, tell us, well, one of the questions that they had me prepare was, tell us about your theology. And I talked a little bit about liberation theologies and the theologies of love and universalism. And then they were like, tell us about your theology of suffering. And I was like... No, I don't really like suffering. <laughs> so, yeah, but yeah, so some kind of harder questions like that, right? Um, and I used what I what I said for that answer, I remember was I tend to think about suffering in the way of the Buddhist philosophy that life is suffering and it's like how you learn to cope with all of the many things that come up with that come up in your life and how we help each other do that too in community, deal with our suffering and our raw experiences. So yeah, so now, like I said, it's on Zoom and you have a panel of about seven to nine people and then you wait and they say, go, leave our Zoom room and we will call you back in. And I think it was probably like 45 minutes I was waiting and I was like, oh. And then they came back and said, you are affirmed in fellowship. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> yay. And then I had some unicorn horn, like glass, glasses things. And I was like, they were like, yeah, celebrate. I was like, can I put these on? <laughs> so yeah, so that's a snippet of the process, but it's not the end. <laughs> so I'm in preliminary. Oh. So technically, I'm in preliminary fellowship, which can be three years or more. And you have to turn in your job evaluations for the first three years of ministry. So you have to have, like, your given learning goals by the MFC. Um, and you have to yearly, like, have yearly submissions to them about your job performances and evals. Um, and then after three years of that, you can be in full fellowship with the MFC um, and the UUA. Um, and so, like, if I wanted to take on an intern myself as a minister, I have to be in full fellowship before I can do that. So there are stipulations of what those two mean. And there's other things that you can't do until you're in full fellowship. So these are the learning goals that were given to me for my preliminary fellowship. And one of them was about the theology of suffering. <laughs> So, develop more awareness of the impact of your speaking style. Perhaps especially when you are anxious, you tend toward repeating information and sometimes whole phrases, which can be overwhelming for some listeners. <laughs> Consider coaching to modulate your speech patterns for others. In addition, be aware of your tendency toward nervous laughter, especially around difficult topics. So that's one. 
get to work on. Continue our theological work that is grounded in liberation theology and focus on systemic roots of suffering and sink into the depth of ministerial presence needed in the face of suffering. And continue to sharpen your anti-racism, anti-oppression, and multiculturalism perspective and grounding. So I'll be working on that this year, next year, for a long time. And then what do you get to do? Celebrate and get to work. Woo! So we did the ordination. Yay. Um, and then I get to participate in the service of the living tradition at the General Assembly. This year is the first year that they're going to make an all-online General Assembly. And so I really don't want to participate in an online General Assembly service of the living tradition. Like, the whole point is you walk across the stage. <laughs> like, and you get to, like, you know, have people cheering for you and things. So, you know, to say that you have made it as a preliminary fellowship minister. So I'm going to wait until it's in person, I think, to walk across that stage. But yeah, so creating healthy community together, collaborative work is my passion for ministry and all of those things, too. So, yeah. So thank you for listening to this very dry um, presentation. <laughs> Hopefully it wasn't too dry. Any questions? 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 it's on yeah there. thank you Tina this is not a question I just think that your transparency and you sharing all of this with us is amazing and uh, I personally feel so proud of you I don't know I have thank any you. I don't have any right to feel <laughs> proud of you you're not my daughter like your mom would say <laughs> well you but, did ordain me as a congregation so you, uh, yeah yeah yeah. Can, <laughs> yeah but but and this helped is, my journey this was all amazing. I don't see how you fit it all into one year. Um, <laughs> it looks like a tremendous amount of work, and uh, I only have great admiration for what you did. And boy, I was looking forward to working with you on many of these things that you just presented. Yeah, let's collaborate. Yeah, thank you. That was my impression, too. Tenacity. <laughs> boy, it was impressive all you did. Hi. Hey. Hello. Hi, Jeff. What I'm wondering is whether your internship experience had any effect on your ministerial goals. Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think it definitely has um, impacted what I want to do as a minister, right, with goals and stuff. Um, I definitely want to do more collaborative work, right? Like that's, I feel, my gift for ministry is that collaborative work. You can't do ministry alone. Um, and, and so, yeah, I would, you know, love to be a minister of a church one day. We'll see. I don't know. It's like up in the air right now, right? I'm, I'm slowing down like my mom told me in my ordination. I did my, you know, whole internship ordination. Woo! Okay, let me settle settle first, um, get some grounding before I figure out like where I want to go or what I want to do. Um, and I'm here for this year. I'm here for next year. Um, I'm committed to this community, right? Y'all are my home community. And um, yeah, so I don't know. We'll see where life takes me along the journey. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm open to see what's out there for sure. And I'm interested in um, serving in other contexts as well. So just, I'm here for now in the present moment. And that's, yeah, my goals though, yeah, like I would say collaborative ministry is high up there. Um, and yeah, I liked, I liked being in a university town too. That was really inspiring, right? Like there's always stuff going on there. Um, and my, my one friend and colleague, has a chaplain job at Emory University, and they have an interfaith um, uh, spiritual center. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's the dream job right there, right? Like, being a chaplain at a university would be really neat. But again, these jobs are hard to come by, the chaplain jobs and stuff. So 
Um, but yeah, working with youth and young adult age is definitely a passion for me still. Um, and just like creating those very, um, yeah, multicultural, multi-generational experiences um, that are maybe not as traditional as we have experienced in the past, right? And working on some of those other governance models within church settings, I think, um, is how we continue to like grow and really focusing on mission and vision planning and goal setting as a like, church congregations too, right? And covenanting and the right relations work. I think all of that's really important. So that's kind of what I want to focus on in my ministry is up there and fun and joy because yeah. <laughs> so I wanted to say again, like everyone else, the work you did with this was amazing. Um, being a lay person or just a member, I had no idea about all the work that went into all of this. Yeah. <clears throat> so I guess my first question would be, how large was that church? Oh yeah, it was um, 400 or so members. It was big. How many, was, bigger. Did, was there a bigger attendance in that church? Yeah, so they had probably on average around like 100, 150 people attending. Really? The services, really? yeah. Um, yeah. The, Okay. Yeah. Then the other thing would be three of your favorite things that you think you've taken from your work that we can incorporate here. What's yeah. three things that you think we might be able to do here? The faith um, forward adult curriculum, um, which we already have purchased. It's through the Dallas congregation. They've put out this awesome curricular resource. And so I think that is definitely a thing that we can do. It's it's a package that talks about from visitor to leader, right? So it's got this whole span of adult education classes that I think would be very beneficial for this community um, and the adult ed education um, here. I think continuing, I mean, collaborative partnering with you know, uh, organizations in our community and beyond, and even partnering with UU congregations, right? Um, so doing more work with Santa Fe and Albuquerque and Taos and, you know, Durango is up there too. You know, like, um, how can we do more collaborative work as a UU movement? I think that brings power to whatever we're doing. Um, like, for example, we went down to Roseburg, Oregon's Pride, for, and they have a tiny fellowship down in Roseburg, and it's a very conservative area. But we went down to support their pride and them and marched with their parade, right? And again, more collaboration, like, um, like I did with the pastoral care visits, right? And so it was like, oh, you have a person in the hospital close to us, let's go visit your congregant, right? Um, so I think more of that partnering and collaboration work, especially when you have small isolated fellowships, because we know that a lot of those fellowships are older and, um, and if we don't support those fellowships, they will die out in those communities. And especially in, well, in Oregon, there were a lot of those little fellowships in more conservative areas. So it was like, oh, this is the one bubble of, you know, um, progressive like thought and things in the area um, and advocacy work. So I think that partnership as a movement as we continue um, is important. And then a lot of um, just the healing and pastoral care work that needs to be done for all ages, whether it's mental health, right, stuff, partnering with those types of things um, and dealing with trauma that people go through because with climate change or, you know, COVID <laughs> or, you know, health tragedies, um, I think, yeah. My last question would be, did you see any programs that would help bring young families and young um, kiddos back into our church like oh, we have? Yeah. I think, yeah, we just have to, like, um, do a lot of reaching out and pastoral care in that area, too, of, like, a lot of folks have, you know, found other things to do on Sunday mornings or, hey, like, we're doing this. Can Would you like to be involved? Or having some of those listening circles, like, I mean, that have been done already here, 
But if there's like a topic for parents or youth or young adults, like, hey, like, how can we meet the needs of, um, of what you're needing in life right now? And, you know, a lot of folks are coming in here um, as younger folks and trying to get housing and trying to find places to connect. And how can we, you know, be... Um, I guess, an institution that serves the needs of those people that are coming into our community too. Like, how can we connect those folks, right? So, like, I'm like, we need to start a young adult group again. And, you know, um, just different things like that. So, yeah. yeah. Listening circles are always great, though. So, good job on doing listening circles already, y'all. <laughs> Any other questions? Tina, this was great. Thanks so much. Thank you, guys. Yeah, thanks for supporting me through this journey, y'all. I appreciate it very much. And letting me go on that nine-month sabbatical, too. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs>